Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you have a question, please text or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Let's tune in. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to another edition of A Reason for Hope, joined here by Dave Robson. Uh, I'm Scott Richards, and we are here to answer your questions on the Word of God. We would consider those the most important questions any human being will ever ask, uh, because uh, they're questions that can not only help you to make sense of what's going on in this world, they are questions that we tackle each and every day that can lead you into a personal relationship with God as that relationship's revealed in his divinely inspired word, the Bible. So if you'd like to get in on our journey through God's word, one question at the heart of your time, uh, we would love for you to join us. Uh, maybe you've got uh, questions about uh, personal issues in your walk with God, maybe a passage or two in the Bible you'd like to explore. But on a day like this, there are obviously big questions about what's going on in our nation. Uh, Roe versus Wade uh, officially reversed by the Supreme Court today. So we'll talk a little bit about that from a biblical point of view. Uh, and a practical point of view as well. Uh, but uh, first, uh, Dave, if people want to get questions to us, how can they do that? Yeah, multiple ways. If you're listening to us on Reach Radio, I think I'm right in saying that you're listening to yesterday's live broadcast. So, And you're probably on your drive time, which is wonderful. But please do email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we will try to get to those questions on our next broadcast. Um, but do consider when you can, when you're not driving, uh, joining us live <laughs> on um, Facebook or YouTube or our church website, which is calvarychristianfellowship.com. Um, all of those have a chat function that you can send your questions in uh, live on the show. And we do our best to get to those questions. And we're monitoring those um, as we go along. And then if you have an Apple TV or a Roku device, we have an app, uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, if you search for that app, and you'll be able to watch us there as well. Not only Reason for Hope, but our services that we have here at Calvary Christian Fellowship as well. So multiple ways that you can get hold of us. But if you're watching us, you've already found one of those. And welcome, and please do send in your questions. Okay. Well, having said that, why don't we uh, commit uh, the broadcast uh, into the Lord's hands? Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to explore your word together. And Father, we pray that uh, as we answer the questions that are on people's hearts and minds, we would be able to share not only what your truth has to say about our lives, but your heart that you have for your people, that uh, your compassion, your mercy, your justice, and your truth would be shared in the balance that we find it in your word. Lord, uh, Dave and I openly confess that we are absolutely powerless to do this on our own strength, so we would ask for the filling of your spirit as we share your word. We pray for each person that is logging in or tuning into this broadcast uh, that uh, you would speak deeply to their hearts as well, because unless mm. you open our eyes to understand your word, uh, we're spinning our wheels as well. So thank mm. you. Lord, for being here to uh, give us the power to share. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the power to receive and to have our lives changed by uh, the amazing power of your word. Uh, you promised that your word would not return to you void. Mm -hmm. It would always accomplish what you send it out to do. So, Lord, that in faith is what we are asking you to do now. Make this a life-changing time. In Jesus' name, mm -hmm. amen. Amen. 
Yeah. Well, uh, as we mentioned going into the broadcast, uh, if uh, unless you've been uh, under a rock, I think, uh, you are probably aware of the fact that uh, the Supreme Court uh, has uh, handed down a, a number of uh, very uh, impactful uh, decisions that it has made. Uh, they've released the findings uh, this uh, particular week. But boy, uh, if you thought, uh, for instance, uh, the concealed carry uh, upholding uh, uh, decision that happened yesterday uh, was uh, going to stir things up, uh, you were uh, definitely underselling what was going to happen today. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting headline uh, on the PJ Media news site. It says, Victory, Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, Casey with Dobbs' decision. Uh, they go on to say this. Uh, this Friday, this morning, the Supreme Court handed down its decision in the much-anticipated Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case overturning the pro-abortion precedent set by Roe versus Wade and the Casey decision. Uh, according to Justice Samuel Alito, who wrote for a 6-3 majority in the Supreme Court, we are told the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion the people's elected representatives. Alito was joined in the majority opinion by Justice Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. Uh, I should say, to be precise here, uh, Judge John Roberts filed a separate opinion concurring with the majority. Uh, Again, writing for the minority uh, in the opinion, Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan uh, dissented by saying, with sorrow for this court, but more for the many millions of American women who have today lost a fundamental constitutional Constitutional protection, we dissent. Uh, the essence of this decision is going to return the issue of abortion to individual states to regulate as each sees fit. Uh, those that are dark blue states are expected to impose uh, the most radical pro-abortion policies, and they have the wherewithal to be able to do that, while dark red states may very well ban all abortion. Many states may choose to allow abortion only under certain circumstances. Uh, For your information to bring up to speed on this, the Dobbs case concerns a Mississippi law that made abortion illegal after the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. The Supreme Court heard arguments in the case in November of 2021. The decision was originally expected to be handed down in June, but an unprecedented act uh, of, of, uh, I, I guess for lack of a term, subversion, uh, someone leaked an early draft of the majority opinion. Uh, The new site Politico published a leaked draft on May 2nd that uh, certainly caused uproar among abortion supporters uh, to the level where protests uh, were held outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. And in one case, uh, in the case of Judge John Kavanaugh, an individual made the trip from California with the intent of assassinating uh, Justice Kavanaugh and uh, had the uh, arms and the uh, well with wherewithal to be able to do that. He was intercepted and not able to attack Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, Again, uh, we are told, according to uh, polls, uh, only a third or so 
of Americans support abortion in the second trimester. Only 19% think it's okay in the third trimester. However, some states, such as Oregon, New Jersey, New York, California, and others, allow abortion up until birth. Uh, and over half of U.S. states permit the procedure well after a baby is viable. Uh, Roe versus Wade, uh, in its decision, forced the entire country to permit abortion of pre-viable babies and freed individual states to permit the act throughout pregnancy. So, you know, what Roe v. Wade uh, really did was took the right to regulate abortion away from the states. It enshrined it as a constitutional right. It uh, said it was a uh, penumbra, to use the court's language, of uh, the right to privacy, which is not enumerated, by the way, in the Supreme Court, but was an offshoot of uh, the 14th Amendment of uh, the Constitution, which granted uh, full citizenship to uh, slaves. And uh, so uh, very interesting twisted legal reasoning involved with all that. Uh, Even justices like Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, looked at Roe versus Wade as a flawed decision because although being very much uh, in favor of abortion, Ruth Bader Ginsburg felt that uh, the decision of Roe versus Wade was exceedingly broad. It was an overreach. It would really not stand up under a strict constitutional uh, evaluation and would set the stage for what we've seen here today. Uh, The Supreme Court has essentially said that there is no constitutionally guaranteed right to abortion. But having said that, what it does is it returns the right to individual states to make up their own minds about what their policy on regulating abortion is going to be. And so you're going to have states like California, New York, Oregon, Washington that are going to have uh, radically uh, altered uh, state uh, policies regarding abortion even up to and in some cases uh, for instance the California law even could be interpreted to allowing a child to die after birth under the uh, penumbra of abortion mm. uh, in Arizona uh, where we live uh, there are a number of them that would go back to pre-row uh, policies that they had within within the state in other words the state of Arizona never rescinded its previous policy about abortion, but because of Roe versus Wade, this policy was set aside and deemed unenforceable by the Supreme Court. So uh, Arizona is going to go back uh, to a very uh, strong uh, uh, pro-life position. Uh, Doug Ducey, our governor, has uh, issued a statement uh, saying that that would be what the state will go ahead and do. And uh, apparently uh, 24 states are going to uh, outlaw abortion uh, and uh, four state I should say greatly restrict abortion mm. uh, and uh, four states are going to outlaw it altogether mm. uh, so you can take a look online to see which individual states you live in and what their policies are going to be regarding the practice of abortion so having said uh, all of that the big question that comes up obviously is what is a biblical point of view mm. on the whole subject of abortion, on being pro-life versus pro-choice. Well, if you've been with us on the program for any length of time, we've answered this question on a number of different occasions. And and what I really believe, uh, Dave, is that there is one fundamental question that every believer in Christ needs to wrestle with, now especially that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. And the question is this, when does life begin? Right. That is the fundamental question 
Now, there's no doubt about the fact that God is the giver of life, but we could ask this question, is, you know, a, a uh, fertilized egg just a clump of cells? Mm. Uh, is it, uh, you know, some people, uh, some uh, states will have heartbeat laws and say once a heartbeat is detected, uh, then uh, they would want to uh, ban abortion at that point. Uh, others would say, well, you know, uh, until the, uh, the fetus, as they would say, is uh, old enough to feel pain, uh, then uh, th- there could be certain protections involved. And some, as we've seen on the more radical side, would say that there is some moral alchemy that takes place when a baby passes through a birth canal, mm-hmm. that uh, after that process is completed, that is now a human being with full rights. Prior to that time, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. So what should our point of view be on this particular question? Well, the first thing that we have to get under our belt is this, you know, I've had this conversation with some of my pro-choice friends, and they will inevitably say that nobody knows when life begins, that it's an unanswerable question. Well, actually, it is an answerable question, and you don't have to be a Bible-believing Christian to come to a conclusion on this. It is a scientifically answerable question, a logically answerable question in this regard. Uh, When you have a fertilized egg, when a female egg cell joins with a male sperm, uh, what do you have there? You do not have scientifically, biologically, an inanimate object. Mm. You have a being, uh, something that is living. No scientist will tell you that that fertilized egg is not uh, a living being of some kind. In fact, we can even take it a step further. We can, by analyzing the DNA of that uh, fertilized egg, and determine what kind of a being it is. Uh, Every fertilized egg has 46 chromosomes, the genetic blueprint that makes us human. In fact, all of the data, all the information necessary to make us us is contained right there in that individual at a moment of birth. Mm. So scientifically and logically, at that moment of birth, we have a being, we have a being that is human. No matter how much time or effort or energy you put into this, that fertilized egg is never going to become a rhinoceros. It's never going to become a giraffe. It's never going to become a bat. Mm. It is always, always, always going to become a human being. It is a being that is human. It is a human being. And so scientifically, we can know when life begins. We can trace it back to the moment of conception. Scripturally, we can also know where life begins. And this is really where we as believers in Christ uh, need to to take our stand uh, on this. Uh, In Psalm 139, King David made a very interesting statement about uh, God's involvement in his life from the very beginning. In verse 13 of Psalm 139, David wrote this, "'For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, that, that phrase, uh, you know, you saw me when I was, my essence, when I was yet unformed. Really, that comes back to that moment of conception. You see, after the moment of conception, a miracle takes place. Scientists call it cell differentiation. 
you come from one cell, one single cell, and suddenly because of the genetic blueprint, because of the DNA that it, God has hardwired into that cell, suddenly you have the cell begin to divide, and suddenly the cells begin to follow certain blueprints that have been laid out. Some cells uh, will become, uh, say, brain tissue. Other cells will become skin. Other cells will become kidneys or the liver. Others become fingernails. Uh, even the the color of our eyes is determined at that particular time. And so what David is saying is from that moment of conception before the first cell divided, before cell differentiation took place, the unformed substance, God looked upon that and didn't say it. It didn't say, well, who knows? He looked in David's case and said, there is King David. And God said the same thing about you and about me. Uh, another fascinating insight into all of this takes place in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Uh, we see uh, a very interesting insight into the nature of preborn life actually having a spiritual dimension. Mm. We are told in uh, Luke, chapter 1, and verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee and again announced the birth of Christ. We are told that Mary, after this announcement, arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened that as Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Elizabeth was the mother of in utero John the Baptist at this point. We are told that the baby in utero John the Baptist, when Mary, who was in the first trimester, comes on the scene, this baby in the womb leapt, and Elizabeth, as a result, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now listen to this. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy." Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her of the Lord. Now notice, as soon as Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, we are told that a separate human being, John the Baptist in utero, heard that greeting, and we are told had an emotional, dare I say, spiritual response, mm -hmm. leapt for joy within her womb. So we're not only told that uh, John the Baptist in utero was a separate person from Elizabeth. We are told that John the Baptist in utero was capable of experiencing emotions, mm. uh, leapt for joy, and in fact was capable of having a spiritual experience, being able to leap for joy. Why? Because Messiah had come into his presence. Mm. Wow. So from a scriptural point of view, and we can go into a number of other verses that talk about how, you know, again, God has plans for our lives before you know, even there was a day uh, that was involved with it, that God uh, writes all of the days of our lives in a book and so on. We, we could cover all these things, but suffice it to say, from a scriptural point of view, uh, there really is no way around the fact that we as Bible-believing Christians are left with no alternative but to see that God is pro-life mm -hmm. from the very first moment. 
Now, again, this really comes down to uh, a debate that sometimes we have with non-believers, and uh, uh, the the people that I've talked to have been uh, pro-choice, have been those that you know pretty iffy about a relationship with God, and they'll say, well, you know, that's that's just your Bible, and and well, you know, the scientific stuff, you know, and so on. You know, it really, it it becomes quite personal at that point. I try to make it as personal as I can. I said, okay, I have one question to ask of you. Uh, the only difference between you and me and a fertilized egg is time and nurture. Mm. That's it. So I would ask you, what, when did your life begin? Actually, there's no way around it. Mm. Uh, God saw us from the time we were a fertilized egg to this particular point. And so we as believers in Christ, you know, I, 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 I always say this, and I don't mean to make it sound like a disclaimer. We try not to be very political on this program because we're here to share the principles of God's Word. And that's what we do at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Now, obviously, the more we are informed about what the biblical principles are all about, what God's priorities are all about, that's going to inform our decisions politically. Uh, you know, I don't endorse candidates uh, from the pulpit. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe that's my job. If I do take a stand along this line, I learned this from Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, you know, I've lost half my audience. They're not going to listen to me about the gospel because suddenly the issue is politics and not who Jesus is and not what a relationship with him is all about. But having said that, there are two issues that I feel uh, every Bible-believing pastor and every Bible-believing Christian needs to stand for. Number one is being pro-life. I don't see any other way around it. I don't see any way of saying, well, it's an individual choice and we can agree to disagree. No, you really can't because, uh, again, God uh, lays down that particular standard for us. You know, in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, you want to see what God's attitude is towards uh, children. In Matthew, chapter 19, we are told this, uh, that in verse 13, then little children were brought to Jesus that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. <laughs> you know, in other words, they thought, oh, the master's too important to be dealing with children. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of, of heaven. And he laid his hands on there and departed from there. In, in the parallel account of the uh, book of Mark, we're told that when Jesus saw that the disciples were shooing parents away, uh, literally, he became indignant. Uh, the word in the original language means to snort like an angry horse. Mm. You know, if you want to see Jesus get fired up, get between him and children. Mm. We're also told in the parallel account in the book of Luke that he took the children up individually in his arms and blessed them. That meant that they were little infants. Uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, I, I, I don't think that life really begins until a child is viable. Well, infants aren't viable. You leave an infant to itself, it's not going to last very long. Mm -hmm. I know some teenagers that aren't viable. <laughs> you know, if you leave them to themselves, they're not going to last very long. <laughs> a few long. adults, too. Yeah. But, uh, but the, the, the bottom line is this. God loves children. And because God loves children, Satan obviously hates them. The, the mm -hmm. picture of innocence, the, uh, the picture uh, of being fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, the uh, opportunity to cut them off before they can make an impact for the glory of God mm -hmm. in this world. Uh, over 60 million abortions in this country since Roe versus Wade became the law of the land. Wow. So, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, earlier this uh, week on Monday, there was a celebration of Juneteenth, 
where we commemorated uh, when the final slaves in Texas got the news that uh, the Emancipation Proclamation had been made and the uh, 14th Amendment of the United States uh, to the United States Constitution had been passed and that they were they were freed and uh, as, you know it was a, a wonderful moment and it should be commemorated uh, but uh, my, my brother uh, on the internet uh, said why shouldn't this day June 24th uh, be uh, celebrated uh, because uh, on this day, preborn individuals uh, were given the right to life. Mm. Uh, we're not even talking about liberty and the pursuit of happiness. If you don't have the right to life, the rest is a non-starter anyway. Right. So very important for us to understand that, very important for us to be able to give a reasoned answer to people who ask us uh, for uh, these questions. And the other practical side of it is this. You know, I, I've noticed uh, just being on social media today, uh, there have been an, uh, a number of uh, people, even on the Christian side of things, who've said, well, you know, okay, you know, so uh, Roe versus Wade has been set aside. Uh, you know, so what? You know, what do we do now? Well, here's what you do now. If you really want to be pro-life in the best sense of the term, can I encourage you, don't sit on the sidelines on this particular issue. We need to come alongside individuals that are facing these kind of decisions mm -hmm. and offer them the kind of support, the kind of nurture, the kind of care uh, that uh, people need to, uh, again, face what could be one of the greatest challenges of their lives, mm -hmm. that is bringing a child into this world. We need to allow them to know that you know there are other alternatives aside from abortion that is adoption uh we need to encourage them that they can uh keep their their children you know, back when we uh did a, a reason for hope on radio when this subject came up i was really taken aback that day because we had three different women call a program who said that they were considering an abortion mm. uh because they had been sexually assaulted mm. but they decided to keep their child wow. and now you know, and they offer these tales, of the, these stories about uh, how this child that they brought into the world is now the light of their life, wow. that they couldn't imagine life without them. Mm. Uh, one of them is sharing about how their baby just graduated from college and, mm. and, and so on. So there are alternatives, even in the most extreme circumstances. So here's how you can uh, make a practical difference. There are crisis pregnancy centers across the country. Maybe you've heard that uh, in the aftermath of the leaking of uh, the decision that was made today, the Dobbs decision, uh, that a number of these uh, crisis pregnancy centers have been either defaced or actually uh, attempted to be burned down across the country. Forty such incidents already. And boy, you better believe there's some angry people out there uh, that uh, are, are very upset that now states and elected representatives are now going to be given the opportunity to be able to set this kind of policy. So uh, very important that we come alongside and encourage those who are making a difference in this area. Now, there's a couple of different uh, uh, community service organizations here in Tucson that do offer solidly biblical support and counsel and, uh, and resources to those that are facing these kind of decisions. Uh, one of them, and we just got some wonderful friends involved with this ministry, is called Hands of Hope here in Tucson. If you want to find out more about that, how to volunteer. Uh, if you don't have time to volunteer, how you can financially support just an incredibly valid ministry, uh, their website is handsofhopetucson.com. Maybe we can put that up uh, on the, the website uh, for, and for people to yeah. uh, be able to link to along this line. There is another ministry 
here in town that also uh, does the same wonderful work. Uh, it is called Answers for Life, and it's their uh, website is found at uh, AFLT, AFL Tucson, I should say, AFLTucson.com. And uh, there are also great opportunities to get involved with that ministry. Uh, there are ways to give that are located at both of uh, these websites. And if you know somebody who's dealing with an unplanned pregnancy and wondering what to do next, these are great resources to steer them to uh, because they're going to get uh, sonograms. They're going to get, uh, uh, again, uh, free ultrasounds. Uh, they have medical staff and life resources that can help people in a very practical way uh, make the best kind of choice, to say yes to life, if you will, mm. in the best and fullest sense of the term. So uh, Answers for Life and, uh, again, Hands of Hope here in Tucson. Uh, if you're outside of Tucson, uh, just do a, a search on the Internet for crisis pregnancy centers uh, and uh, abortion alternative centers in your community and uh, come alongside them. Uh, support them financially if you uh, feel so led to really make a decision. Volunteer some of your time. It's going to be something that the Lord's definitely going to smile upon. Mm. So, Yeah. Monica commented, uh, Jeremiah 1-4, uh, yeah. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born. I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And something you said really struck me was just the purpose, you know, because no doubt we you know, don't want to sidestep that there are complicated difficult reasons to pursue you know abortion you mentioned sexual assault and the like you know we don't want to minimize that that's obviously a complicated decision to make but it struck me afresh that to know that if god is the giver of life he's also the giver of, of purpose you know in those in those lives and yeah. as you shared to know that even if a, a child came from a um you know a, a terrible circumstance there can be great purpose for that life because god has given that life and I think that's incredibly encouraging. Yeah, interesting uh, question from uh, Craig on uh, our Facebook uh, page here. And, and Craig, I'll, I'll share this uh, because I think it, it's really relevant to where a lot of people are at. He said, all that was just said makes so much sense. I'm questioning my anger towards those who are being violent towards the overturned mm -hmm. decision on abortion. Is this a case where my anger is righteous? Well, Craig, there's a difference between being uh, righteously angry over an issue and unrighteously angry towards people who perhaps are, well, uh, deceived on a particular issue. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think about the account of Ananias, a man who lived in Damascus. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, uh, before he was Paul, uh, was the Rabbi Saul, and he literally breathed every breath he took. Uh, was dedicated to exterminating uh, what he called, what he felt was a, a horrible, deceptive cult uh, mm -hmm. in, in incipient Christianity. Well, he was not just content uh, to uh, persecute and even uh, oversee the deaths of uh, believers in Jerusalem. He was given letters from the high priest and was heading to Damascus when the Lord intercepted him. Uh, you're probably familiar with the Damascus Road experience where suddenly uh, there was a light brighter than the sun. Uh, Saul fell from his horse and a voice came saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He goes, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. In fact, Jesus said in that encounter, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. It's such a vivid picture because uh, when a person would be using an ox 
to plow, uh, to uh, keep an ox from kicking or, or uh, continued, continuing to obey the commands of those uh, plowing the ox, they would have little spikes uh, that would be attached. And if uh, an ox would kick, they would, again, encounter that spike and the pain would keep that ox in line well what god was saying about uh, saul at that point was he was kicking against the goads remember saul's campaign of terror against christians came after he had heard stephen give the gospel account uh, in fact uh, stephen had uh, pretty much put rabbi saul down in open debate and uh you know after uh the uh, stephen made his masterful account we're told that uh, he was stoned and Saul was watching over the coats of all of that. But you could tell uh, that uh, Saul's conscience uh, was pricked by all of that. He, he was cut through to the heart by all of this. And so uh, Jesus told Saul to go into Damascus. There a man named Ananias would come and pray for him and tell him what he must do. Well, Ananias uh, was then visited by Jesus. And he says, a man named Saul is coming. Uh, I want you to come and pray for him to receive his sight, and I will show him how much things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias was like, whoa, 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 Lord, you don't know what this guy has done. I'm giving you the Scott Richard paraphrase here. Uh, but you can read about it, all about it in Acts chapter 9. And, uh, and Jesus says, no, go. He's my chosen instrument. And so Ananias said, all right, I'll go. And he prayed and said, uh, Brother Saul, receive your sight. We're told at that point, scales fall, fell from Saul's eyes, and he was able to see again. And the world was changed by all of that. Now, could you imagine what would have happened if Ananias had said, there's no way that awful Saul, I know people that, you know, he's probably orchestrated their deaths. And, you know, talk about a, a, an opportunity for righteous indignation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, later on, uh, writing in the book of First Timothy, uh, this same individual who was Saul, the persecutor of the church, who became the Apostle Paul, said this in First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did so ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, <laughs> I love the way he didn't say, I used to be, but now I'm happy all the day. I am chief. Yes. He says, but for this reason, I also obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Craig, I, I get it. You know, when you see people just saying incredibly brutal and blasphemous things, when you see the stuff they've uh, vandalized the uh, crisis pregnancy center with the slogans and where is your God now and all of this, it's easy for us to react. Hmm. It's easy for us, in a sense, to righteously react because, again, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, we're told in the book of Proverbs. And, and I get it. And I understand that. But, you know, I think the Lord is looking for us to have that Ananias perspective. We never know who the next person is who's going to be the Rabbi Saul, who might be saying some awful, nasty, and terrible things, even engaging in acts of violence against people who name the name of Christ, mm -hmm. who God is going to reach and touch and turn around and use like he did the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen some beautiful testimonies 
uh, online today. Uh, one uh, lady in particular uh, posted on uh, Twitter that uh, three years ago, she was adamantly pro-abortion. She was adamantly anti-Christian. Uh, she absolutely hated those who were pro-life and pro-choice and, and born-again believers. But a year ago, she gave her life to Jesus. Mm. And she says, look at the difference God has made in my life now. Wow. So, uh, you know, Craig, I get uh, that where you're coming from. I understand uh, how it would be easy to uh, try to, you know, put out fire with kerosene in a sense. Mm -hmm. But God, I think, calls us to rise above that. I love the last line of the book of Romans chapter 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Mm -hmm. uh, the more we can love people, stand by, you know, for, for our principles, obviously, in real practical and personal ways, you know, get on the, the, the donation team for these ministries at the very least. Volunteer time for them. Uh, and and uh, minister with them if you can, if the Lord's laying that on your heart for sure. But let's not let non-believers set our agenda. The minute we mm -hmm. get into reactivity against non-believers and, you know, again, how provocative sometimes they can be, especially online, well, they've won the battle. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to rise above that. We need to stand by our guns. We don't soft pedal the truth or just say, well, I mean, he's got an opinion. Uh, but uh, on the other side of the coin, uh, we are to speak the truth in love and let people see the difference that Jesus makes within our life. I, I love that line from the book of Revelation, chapter 12, that talks about those who are going to lay down their lives for their faith in uh, even the great tribulation period. It says, mm. they overcame Satan uh, because they did not love their lives to the death, mm. and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Mm. Uh, the word of our testimony is a very powerful thing. And the more people are going to be going bonzo and crazy and riots in the streets or something, I'm praying that doesn't happen. Mm. But the more that sort of stuff comes on, the more we can, by contrast, say, well, yeah, you know, we're, we're very passionate about what we believe, but our passion is focused on loving people and making a difference in the lives of people, right? You know, why do you have a problem with that? Yeah, because so. emotions aren't. I mean, I've had to learn this in my life too. Emotions aren't bad. You know, even anger. Anger is is a good emotion that that shows us when there's something that's there's an injustice, something that isn't right. We get angry, and that's okay. So often it's not the emotion, it's what we do with the emotion where the sin comes in. That's why the word says, in your anger, do not sin. It's not being angry that's the sin itself, it's what we do with those, right. <laughs> those emotions. And that's why love is patient, you know, being quick to hear, slow to speak, because as humans, sometimes we need time when we become angry or any other emotion, you know, aroused or whatever it is. We need a moment to be slow and to think yes. and to process these emotions and seek the Lord for what to do with those emotions. And I've been angry over things and, and walked away with that anger and, and spent days or maybe weeks and realized I had no right to be angry. You know, I, hadn't, I, <laughs> I came to that conclusion. I don't have a right to be angry over this. That was my own pride or selfishness. And then sometimes I've come to the conclusion, yeah, there's, there's a reason there was an injustice and I've, you know, sought that person out or whatever the circumstance may be. So, um, so being angry itself is not a sin, but what we do with it, that's where the, you know, that's where yeah. we can uh, stumble into those things. Um, so being, you know, quick tempered is, is where we can get in trouble. But yeah, yeah. Um, if you're ready for a change of, change of subject. Yeah. If you, if any of you want to explore this more in depth, just get your questions to us, but let's uh, go with the questions we have at hand. Yeah. Um, a question on our uh, website from Isaiah. 
about the Ten Commandments. And the, the overall question is, is there a, a significant significance to the order of the Ten Commandments? Why is the last commandment, the tenth, thou shalt not covet? Why in that particular order did God put the Ten Commandments there? Um, so is there a significance to that, the order of the Ten Commandments? Well, in- well, in a sense, uh, Isaiah, there is a, a significance to the order in the Ten Commandments because maybe you've seen pictures of the, the movie The Ten Commandments where Charlton Heston comes down from the mountain with the two tablets uh, in his hand. Well, that's accurate biblically. Uh, the, t- the stone tablets written by the finger of God were twofold. The first five of the Ten Commandments that we see re- reiterated for us in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, deal with our vertical relationship with God. Hmm. Those are the first. Uh, and then the second table of the law are horizontal commandments, having to deal with our relationship with our fellow man. Now, uh, you know, if you can't get past the first table of the law, have a relationship with God, chances are you're not going to do real good on the, the horizontal side of things. You've got to have that heavenly relationship before you can work on the horizontal. So there's a pattern to that. You know, there, there is a, a set of priorities to that. But let's talk a little bit about the second table in the law. Uh, you know, we think about the Ten Commandments. We think about people that say, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty good person. And you say, well, why do you think you're a pretty good person? And they say, well, it's because I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, whenever I hear that, uh, maybe you've heard me say this before, uh, I always ask them, uh, can you name the Ten Commandments? <laughs> you know, and, and let's let's not talk... Uh, about a commandment that is difficult to verify, like, you know, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's talk about ones that we can verify. Starting with verse 12, this is the first commandment of the second table of the law. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said that's the first commandment with a promise. In other words, it's still one that is valid for us today in our walk with God, to honor your father and your mother. Uh, The second is you shall not murder. The third is you shall not commit adultery. The uh, uh, next is you shall not steal. Then you shall not bear fitness, witness, uh, false witness, I should say, bear fitness, false witness (laughs) against your neighbor. Sounds like a great excuse to me. Uh, And and so, you know, people will say, well, you know, I think I've kept all of those. Okay, really? You've never told a little white lie in your entire life. You never saw someone walking into work uh, wearing a lime green leisure suit circa 1974, and they said, how do I look? And you said, oh, great. Well, you're out uh, as far as bearing false you witnesses. You wouldn't mention that. But then the final one is you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that's your neighbor's. Now, notice we're not only told you shall not covet, period. It says seven different things you're not Mm. supposed to covet. Now, the number seven in Scripture is the number of completion or fullness. And there's a reason why this commandment is listed last. If you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Isaiah, you know that Jesus took the Ten Commandments and took it away from the externalized interpretation of the religious people of his day and said, you've got to keep the commandments 
in your heart. In other words, unless your, Pharisee, your, your, right, your righteousness is greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not getting into heaven at all. And then he defined what that greater righteousness was all about. He said, if you're angry with your brother, you've already killed him in your heart. Mm-hmm. You look upon a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And, right. and on it goes. You know, and so Jesus brought these things down to a spiritual level. But even before Jesus showed God's people that God didn't just expect external, you know, uh, you know, just uh, following the lines and, well, I guess I've never crossed this line, so I'm okay. Uh, even the Ten Commandments themselves are, are no refuge if, if you want to externalize righteousness. Why? Because that last commandment, you shall not covet, that's not an action, is it? It's an attitude. Mm. It's looking at something someone else has and wanting it for yourself. Now, really interesting, we talked a little bit about this uh, in, in terms of uh, the, the struggle that we all have with sin in this world and how sometimes we get down upon ourselves uh, for all of that. But if you ever struggle with sin and you feel down upon yourself, and why is it that I always stumble and fall into sin? Uh, you're in really good company because in the book of Romans chapter 7, uh, for instance, we, we are told that uh, the apostle Paul had that same struggle with sin. Hmm. In, in verse 7 uh, of Romans chapter 7, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except through the law, for I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced to me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment, the commandment, the commandment thou shalt not covet came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was meant to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, the commandment's holy and righteous and good. What, what, what Paul is saying here in essence is this. He felt like he was doing just peachy, mm-hmm. keeping the law in external sense. He right. was a Pharisee of Pharisees, we were told in Philippians chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Other Pharisees said, gee, I want to grow up and be just like you someday, mm-hmm. Rabbi Saul. You, you've got it together. He said, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. Mm-hmm. In other words, his peers just said, you got it down, man. You yeah. never make a mistake. And one day, this same blameless guy is reading through his Torah, and he comes to Exodus 20, and this commandment jumps out at him. Thou shalt not covet. Well, suddenly he found himself, gosh, coveting, that's, that's really bad. That's, that's an anti-God attitude. Boy, I, I sure hope I don't covet. And then something else happened. His fallen sinful nature got a hold of that commandment and said, you sure you haven't coveted? Hmm. You know, remember your neighbor got that new chariot down the street and you found yourself going, man, I'm such a righteous guy. Why don't I have a new chariot? You coveted. Wow. You not only coveted about the chariot, you saw the guy's wife, and you saw the guy's kids, and you saw the guy's life situation, and why not me? As soon as we ask that question, why not me, yep. we're coveters. Yep. We've coveted. And uh, the, the reason that, that that last line isn't included in, uh, or is included in the uh, Ten Commandments at the very last is you can be cruising down all this thing and telling yourself how righteous you are and, oh, I've never told a lie and I've never, you know, dishonored my parents and I guess you've never been a teenager. But you, you can, can even snow yourself about that. But once you get to that one, you know, it, it's almost like someone saying, whatever you do right now, your eternal destiny depends on this. Do not think about a pink elephant. 
Do not think about a pink elephant. It's going to be the difference between heaven and hell for you. Don't think about a pink elephant. Well, what are you thinking about right now? Pink elephant. Yeah. Probably dancing on a circus ball, playing a horn. (laughs) If you're like me. How did you know? You know, it's just as soon as somebody says don't, what do we do? We We do do it. it, Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I I guess, Isaiah, that is uh, what we uh, what we really uh, what it really comes down to. Uh, you know, the, the reason that commandment is there at last, I think, is uh, even if you manage to dodge minefields in rationalization all along the way, you can't rationalize that one. Yeah. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, couldn't rationalize it. You and I can't either. The law is there not to heal us, but to reveal our need for the healing that God alone can bring. It's like God's MRI machine. Uh, sometimes people will will say, uh, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to go to heaven by keeping the commandments. But that's a silly, as they go into a doctor and the doctor uh, runs you through an MRI and comes back and goes, oh, my gosh, you know, you've got this fatal disease. Uh, wow. You know, the MRI revealed that. And, you know, if the doctor then turned to you and you said, well, what should we do? You said, well, let's run you through the MRI again and see if it helps. No, the, the commandments can't help make you right. Mm. It can only show you your desperate need to be right. right. And uh, the kicker of all kickers is that thou shalt not covet, because it's not an action. It's an attitude. It's yeah. right through and reveals the condition of our hearts. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great—I mean, I, I grew up with the concept of good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. You know, that was, that was kind of the belief that was presented to me. But then it's like, well, where do you, where do you draw the line? You know, what is, <laughs> what is good and what is bad? And when you— um, I mean, this whole subject deals with that when Jesus said, you know, but, you know, God looks at the inward person. I remember, sorry, mom, I'm going to have to share this story, having this conversation with my mother, who I'll yeah. get to see in a few weeks. But but um, we were talking about this very thing. Well, good people go to heaven. Well, who is good? You know, have you have you ever, um, did you ever cheat on dad? No, she said. Well, Jesus said, if you have, you know, lustful thought in your heart to, towards a man, then you've, have you ever, well, yeah, she said Elvis Presley. <laughs> so thank you. Thank I mean, you she's very, very honest about. I understand he was a handsome man, but you know those heart issues that the Lord sees. And again, as you shared, that's the point. You know, of the Ten Commandments, it was to show us that we just cannot keep the Ten Commandments when we truly know the standard sure. of it. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah some, some fascinating comment. Isaiah just said, "I just thought of a pink elephant." <laughs> <laughs> it's working. Join the club. Yeah. <laughs> what power we yeah. have to yeah. uh, control the minds? Yeah. yeah. Um, Question from Yari here. How, hey, Yari, good to see you. Um, why can't we have children and get married in heaven? Is this question. The way I've understood it as far as being, getting married in heaven is that we'll already be married. We'll right. Be the, yeah, we're the, we're the bride of Christ and we'll be married to, to Jesus. We'll all be married in that sense. So that's the way I've understood that, that we won't be taking wives or husband in heaven because we'll be taken. Yeah. The yeah. ultimate. Yeah, and uh, you know, people get kind of uh, freaked out about that whole idea of not being married in heaven to their spouse, or, or their not not having spouse. relationships like, yeah. like we have here. Right. And uh, and boy, you know, in a sense, they're right. Uh, we're told in Matthew chapter twenty-two that the Sadducees who denied the resurrection uh, came to Jesus with their killer question for anybody believed that uh, there was life after death. Uh, they quoted from the law of Moses, from uh, uh, Exodus, uh, uh, I should say, uh, in uh, uh, the, the, uh, 
the uh, I'll find it somewhere. Uh, Deuteronomy <laughs> 25. It's in there. I, I found it uh, after all that stumbling. I'm a professional. Don't find this at home. <laughs> Makes me feel better about. But, but in Deuteronomy my brain 25, when you stumble, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm having my Beatles birthday this year. Did you know? I'm, I'm turning 64. Oh, wow. So, oh. yeah. so will you still need me? Will you still feed me? Pam promises that that's the I case. Love that song. Yeah, it's it's a very sweet song. It is. But I never thought I'd I'd have that apply to <laughs> me. Right. So sometimes the the brain goes into vapor lock. But well, that's su- why I'm here. Suffice to, it to say, you know. well, and thank the Lord you are. Uh, but uh, anyway, sure uh, Exodus 25 talked about this law that said that if a man died without children, that his brother should marry the widow and have a child so the brother's name would continue on. Well, the Sadducees talked about this one woman who married a man and he died, no children. The brother married this woman, died, no children. And so on until seven brothers that all had this woman died without children. Mm-hmm. Levi Lesko always asked the question, what was she feeding these guys? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably the world's worst cook. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the big question was, uh, therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And they thought, this is, just shows how absurd it is that there would be a resurrection. This clear commandment of God would just create this chaos that was going on here. And, I mean, to the Jewish mind, that was an outrage that this one woman would have seven husbands. Mm-hmm. One man having seven wives, not so much. The, the reversal was really, really bad. Uh, but I love what Jesus did. He said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. From the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. In other words, uh, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who by the Sadducees' lights had died and turned to dust, uh, weren't alive in the presence of God. God would have said, I was the God of Abraham, mm-hmm. Isaac, and Jacob. But he says, I am. They're living to him. But this this statement that uh, in the resurrection, they're neither married nor given marriage, but like the angels of God. Uh, angels already don't reproduce. Why? Because there's no need for them to reproduce. They don't die. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no need to carry on the species. Mm-hmm if you will. Yeah. Uh, here in this world, because we have sin and death, uh, we live our time, you know, 70 years, 80, if we have strength, according to Psalm 90, and we pass from the scene. Well, you know, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, mm-hmm. carry on the human species, if you will. Well, in heaven, no need to carry on the species mm-hmm. because we'll all be possessors of eternal life. And then, you know, coinciding with what you uh, so perfectly summed up, yeah, we are going to have a marriage relationship in heaven. We're going to be the bride of Christ. Now, where people get freaked out is, but I love my spouse. You know, I just couldn't imagine not being married to my spouse. I have such a great relationship with them. You know, what's going to happen to that? Uh, let me tell you, you're only going to upgrade. And this is what I mean. In heaven, uh, you know, we're no longer going to have fallen sinfulness to hold us back in our relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we mentioned before Mark Twain's famous statement that all of us are like the moon with a dark side we show to no one, mm-hmm. uh, including our spouses. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is in heaven, we're going to be perfect. We're going to be able to receive God's love and relate God's love perfectly. So our relationship with our earthly spouse, who we will know in heaven, is not going to be less than it is here. It's going to be different. It's going to be better because we're going to be able to purely and beautifully and wonderfully be able to 
receive and relate love to one another uh, on a level that we never even imagined possible. Mm. You know, the, the physicality of marriage, you know, the idea of reproduction, all that other stuff, that's going to be something that was appropriate for here. But it is all designed, we are told in Ephesians chapter 6, to point to that greater relationship, the relationship between Christ and the church. Mm. So um, it's going to be a trade-up, not a trade-off, uh, as far as our enjoyment of heaven. Yeah. remember a, a pastor I had back in England used to say, heaven, at the very least, is going to be better than the best thing that you can think think of. Yeah. <laughs> and for him, I think he was a big Star Trek fan, so he <laughs> ultimate was traveling through space, you know, in a spaceship and kind of thing. It's going to, at the very least, be better than the best thing. No Klingons. The weekend, no, no Klingons on no, the starboard no, no, bow. No, no Borg. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, that's right. Just yeah. all the good stuff. Yeah. Well, we have a couple of minutes left here only. Um, let's see what, uh, what we'd like to address. I don't want to give you a question that there's going to be not enough time for. Oh, well, but, we can, but, believe it or not, there, there are times where we can be brief. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had an email question, which I'll, um, I don't know, this will be a brief, brief uh, question. But in Acts, this is from Mary. In Acts, we read Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, and said, much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. In Acts 15, 32 and 33, Silas was sent away. But a few verses later, we read about Paul chose Silas and left, um, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Is this a discrepancy? Did Silas not leave or did Paul have him come back? Yeah, uh, well, taking a look at that passage uh, specifically, uh, you know, we see that there was that conflict uh, that that took place uh, between uh, Barnabas and Saul. Uh, We are, or I should say Barnabas and Paul. Uh, You know, we are told that uh, the division over John Mark in Acts 16 and verse 36 sets the stage for this. Again, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord, see how they're doing. Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark, but Paul insisted they should not take with him the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So here we see that uh, we have Silas. Uh, Again, in verse 34, we're told it seemed good to Silas to remain in the area of Antioch and uh, and go on while Paul went uh, went down and so on. It seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Silas also remain in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord and many others. So, you know, all of them, according to this passage, were in Antioch. Uh, that that's uh, what the situation was and a careful reading of the passage resolves that hope that answers your question great time with you god bless you you've been listening to a reason for hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through god's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com you can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.